All right, and you may be seated this morning. Keep your Bibles open to Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. We will uh, refer to that throughout the message this morning. This is week number two uh, of our missions emphasis. I shared a little bit last week, uh, really talked about why we do missions, why it is important, why we should engage in this command, the last command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. And today, We're going to really focus uh, our attention in today's message. We'll look even a little bit more different, uh, even as I get to the end this morning, probably different than what you're used to from me. Uh, But this morning, I I hope that when we leave this place, that we will have a better grasp, a better understanding on how we as a church, but also we as individuals, followers of Christ, should be engaging the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. I shared with you briefly last week, we are uh, entering into this time, and there's, there's information about it at the, um, at the Welcome Center, but also at our tables here in the lobby. Uh, we have um, begun introducing to you something called Kingdom Builders, and Kingdom Builders is really, I'll talk more about this later, uh, but really glad tidings approach to really engaging this command to go and make disciples. It is the vehicle by which we will uh, be obedient to the command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. Last week, we examined likely the most famous last words that were ever spoken by the most famous man that ever walked the earth. And that were the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, where he said to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them or everything that I have taught them. And then Jesus says, Lo, I will be with you until the end of the days. This last command we talked about last week, this last command of Jesus rested solely upon the authority of the risen Christ. The reason that Jesus was able to even um, mandate these words and even signify what was to be important is because he had the authority. He, He begins by saying, all authority has been given to me, authority on heaven and in earth. Scope of this command, as we looked at last week, it included all the nations. And I said this even in my prayer, and it is my hope for us as a church And even as I was praying this morning and walking around this sanctuary, my prayer for us as a church is that we as a body would have a heart for the nations. And by that, I don't mean just the nations in terms of of a global emphasis, but I'm also talking about locally and regionally as well. And we're going to talk about that. That's why I think the words of Jesus in Acts 1-8 are so important. He says, you will be my witnesses where in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, The disciples didn't have an opportunity to say, you know what, we're just going to focus over here on Jerusalem and ignore Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. At the same time, they were not given uh, the the option to say, you know what, we're going to focus our efforts on the ends of the earth, but ignore our local community and ignore the people around us. We are to have a heart for the nations, all people. You are to to be my witnesses where in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The content, the content of this this, uh, command, this mandate that is given to us by Jesus included a simple call for people to obey all of the commands 
of Jesus. And then we talked a little bit last week about the urgency of this command. This was a command that he gave to his disciples, but it's a command that, that still rests with us today. And the urgency of this command has not changed at all. I shared some very, uh, what I would describe, disheartening uh, information with us last week. There are 3.1 billion people on this planet 3.1 billion people, it's hard for our minds to really grasp, but there are 3.1 billion people that have no access to the gospel at all. I'm not talking about 3.1 billion people that, that have phones where they can pull up the Bible app and at least read and they're not just engaging. I'm talking about people that have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard the name of Jesus. I shared how there are 212,000 people here in East Central Indiana that, that have not responded to the gospel message. They are unchurched and they are spiritually lost. And there are 1,400 people here in Dunkirk alone that do not know Christ, that are unchurched, that need to hear the name of Jesus. This command, this is an urgent command for us to respond to what Jesus called his disciples to do. It was also urgent because I think all of us in this room would agree heaven and hell are both real. And because of that, that, that should stir in us an urgency to want to share with as many po people as we possibly can the good news of Jesus Christ so that they can respond to that message and experience eternal life with Christ in heaven. It's also an urgent command because I think all of us would agree and maybe many of us in this room are waiting and expecting and longing for the day that Christ returns. But the reality is none of us in this room know when Christ is returning. I don't care how good you are at charting and mapping and figuring things out. doesn't matter. We know very clearly from Scripture that no one else knows the time or day. But what we do know is that he is returning. And because he is returning as believers, as followers of Christ, we have an urgent responsibility that we should respond to. And that is to make certain that we are making the name of Jesus Christ known to anyone and everyone that we can. So that 3.1 billion people, 212,000 people, 1,400 people can experience eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's why the command is urgent. Therefore, folks, our work, as we learned last week, as followers of Christ, as a church, our work is not finished. If there was anything that I wanted you to really grasp last week, it was this statement. Jesus' last command, go and make disciples of all nations. His last command, it must be our first priority. But here's what I want to focus on just for a few minutes this morning. I want to ask the question, how? How are we to faithfully engage this mission? How will we individually and corporately engage the Great Commission or the last command of Jesus Christ? This morning, I'm going to walk us through that very clearly. As a church, I've already said this, but as a church, as a church body, kingdom builders will really be the primary vehicle by which glad tidings will engage the Great Commission, which follows really, and, and, and you will see, will follow the pattern set out for us by Jesus in Acts chapter 1. We are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Part of what Kingdom Builders is designed to do is, is to support our, our missions efforts here locally. Um, it, it is designed to help plant churches here in East Central Indiana, and it is also lined up or designed to help us to continue to support missionaries locally and globally, financially and through prayer, so that they can take the gospel into places that maybe you and I will never be able 
to reach. And so that is our primary vehicle. But I want to really expand on that this morning. We want to engage all fronts. C.T. Studd said this, and I think this really captures the heart of this mission. The light that shines farthest shines brightest nearest home. Let me just explain that. that. That means that we cannot ignore the mission field here that God has placed us in and just place all of our initiative and efforts on the global mission field. That means that we need to make certain that we are caring for our own and, and pouring into our own here while also engaging the mission on a regional and global scale. I think C.T. Studd and, and, and obviously in Scripture, it's very clear that we cannot uh, embrace the mission in Jerusalem and ignore the ends of the earth, and we can't do the opposite as well. We are to engage this mission on all fronts. And so I really want to talk about that this morning. So what does that look like? I want to begin by talking about how are we going as believers, as a church, how are we going to engage the mission here at home? Acts 1 verse 8 Jesus says, you will be my witnesses where in Jerusalem. Now, I, I throw that verse up there because I want you to keep in mind the church was birthed out of the city of Jerusalem. That's where they began. That's where people gathered. Actually, if you read uh, in Acts, the first seven chapters primarily takes place in and around the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't until you get to Acts chapter 8 when persecution started to ramp up, that people were, were sent out of Jerusalem. Disciples were leaving and, and apostles were going, but wherever they went, they took the gospel with them. And that's how the gospel began to spread. But primarily speaking, their home was Jerusalem. That, that is our Dunkirk here. That is, that is the, the local community that God has placed us in. And so what does it look like to engage the mission at home? Our primary disciple-making effort must first focus on our family. Uh, let me just unpack this, and I want everybody to listen this morning, um, because I know it's very easy to, to tune out and say, well, my, you know, my kids are out of the house, or I don't have children, or I don't really have a responsibility uh, for kids, but I want you to see that all of us as a church, we have a responsibility when it comes to the discipling of, of our kids, whether it's our biological kids, or whether it's the kids that God has placed in this church, and we are to pour into them as well. So what does that look like? There is a common theme throughout Scripture. And it is that parents are responsible for discipling their children and pointing their kids to Christ. Let me point you to a few places in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, verses 4 through 9. Listen to these words. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them. When you are at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I don't think we see that happening a lot today necessarily. Uh, when, we, when we say literally speaking, I don't see anybody walking around uh, with things on their forehead. Uh, but, but there is this emphasis here in Deuteronomy that as, as parents or spiritual parents, we are to continually point our kids to Christ. We need to, whether, whether it's when we're in the car, whether it's when we're at home, when we're around the dinner table, when we're at the grocery store and things are chaotic, it's an excellent time to point our kids to Christ and to talk about the things of God. It doesn't always have to be an intentional moment, but we just need to be in the mindset. We need to have the attitude that as parents or spiritual parents, we are responsible for pointing our children to Christ, encouraging them. 
When kids walk through these hallways, uh, it's a great opportunity to, to remind them that they are children of God, that they've been created in his image, in his likeness, that they are valuable because they are his children. And so we have an excellent opportunity when they're in here for, uh, with us for worship to show them and to point them to Christ. Joshua 24, verse 15, I think you may know this passage, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then listen to this statement. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's clear in Scripture that there needs to be a commitment, a devotion as a family to serving Christ, to serving the Lord. And then Proverbs 22, verse 6. And just know, Proverbs is not necessarily a, a book of promises. It is a book of principles. And listen to what the writer of Proverbs says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. There is something special. And the reality is if we never direct our children, there's a good chance they're not going to stay on the right path. But when we pour into our kids, when we talk to them about the things of God, when we point them to Christ, when we show them what it looks like and model for them what it looks like to serve Christ, to serve the Lord faithfully and obediently, this principle that is written here in Proverbs, when they are older, they will not depart from it. And let me just go a little bit further and say, if there is a season where they wander and they become a prodigal, and maybe you have a prodigal in here, um, uh, my good friend, um, Pastor Josh at Hartford City, one of the things that he said often when it comes to prodigals is he says the advantage of the prodigal is they know the way back home. And so maybe you're in here today, you have prodigals in your life that you're praying for. The advantage of the prodigal is they know the way back home because you poured into them, because you showed them what it looks like to serve Christ. And so we have to make certain that that is part of our responsibility. And I want you to hear this this morning. This is the task of every parent, of every grandparent, of every guardian, and folks of every believer. There is no greater task, no greater role that you will have in life than to disciple, to pour, to direct your children to follow Christ. Your primary task, I want you to hear this, your primary task is not to raise up the next professional athlete or star student. It's great if they get to that point, but that's not our primary task. Instead, it is to raise up a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. That is our aim. That is our objective. That is our call as parents, as guardians, as grandparents to make certain that we are raising men and women who love Christ with their whole hearts. Let's not let our culture, social media, or even the educational environments, let's not let them be the loudest voice and most influential voice that shapes our children. Let it be the voice of God that speaks through us to our children. That's what I, I pray and I hope as I pray for my kids, I pray and hope that they are being shaped by the word of God, that when they're in here worshiping with us, um, though they may come up on the stage when they're not supposed to or whatever it may be, my hope and my aim is that they are experiencing the presence of God in this place so that when they're older, they are serving Christ. I want to raise, I want to raise daughters and I want to raise boys who are serving Christ, who love him with their whole heart. As a church, part of our responsibility, part of our task is to come alongside our families to do what? To strengthen you, to encourage you, and to equip you for the most important task that is in front of you. 
Folks, my desire, maybe, maybe you're here in this room and your kids, they're, they're out of the house and you're rejoicing, maybe some of you are. <laughs> um, some of you are maybe in that stage where you're like, man, I wish my kids were back home now. Or um, <laughs> Some of you aren't there. Um, but as a church, regardless of where you are as a church, we have a responsibility. And it doesn't matter if you have kids or don't have kids, we still have a responsibility. We are to come alongside our families to encourage to equip. I hope that in this room, one of the things that I do often is, is I go through our list of names and I'm praying for the families in this room and I'm praying for your children. And I'm not praying that they would become the next best athlete or star student. I'm praying that they would have a relationship with God that will shape them and form them and that they will become incredible followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we all, and let's, if we do that together, man, I, I can't wait to see our children and our grandchildren, how they will make a difference for the kingdom of God. So let's be a church that that makes certain, uh, first of all, that we are praying, but let's make it a priority to pray for the children in this place, that they would come to know Christ and serve him faithfully. We believe every engagement here at Glad Tidings with kids is essential, and we don't want to waste any opportunity, whether it's on a Sunday morning in their class or Sunday morning here as we worship together, whether it's Royal Rangers on Wednesday night, maybe it's uh, local outreach efforts, anything we do, we don't want to waste an opportunity to pour into the life of the kids that are placed in front of us. Uh, there are three kind of very important values that we adhere to here at Glad Tidings when it comes to our children. Number one, we want to make certain that they encounter Jesus. So whether it's on Sunday morning in the service whether it's on Wednesday night, whether it's at an outreach, our desire, our aim, our passion is that, number one, they would encounter Christ. Number two, we want to make certain that they engage the Bible. Uh, you know our mission statement to develop biblically sound believers who reflect the character of Christ. We want to make certain that every kid, every teen, and every adult is engaging the word of God so as they learn and as they memorize scripture, the character of Christ is being formed in them. And number three, we want them to experience joy. There is so much fun in serving Christ, and we want them to experience the joy and the fellowship that we can have with him. We believe in raising up biblically sound children. That's why every single year, there's a, a special time of year, usually in August, um, as our preschoolers are moving into uh, kindergarten and as our, our elementary students are moving into the youth ministry, we intentionally set aside one day where we actually present those that are moving into those two classrooms with a Bible. We don't do it uh, just out of routine. We do it because we believe that the Word of God is powerful, and we want to place in the hands of our kids the Word of God and, and let them know this needs to be centered. This needs to be the focus of our life. That's why scripture memorization is important. That's why um, the curriculum that we use on Sunday morning, the gospel project, it is Christ-centered. And we want to make certain that we're pouring into our kids. We believe in resourcing our families. How many know um, if you are doing a project, um, if we were to come outside here and we decided we wanted to re-landscape this entire building, that if I were to walk outside with a screwdriver in my hand to begin the landscaping process, um, that I have the wrong tool in my hand. I, I might be able to dig a little bit, but I'm not going to be very effective at landscaping with a, a screwdriver in my hand. Right tools are important. And what we are here for as a church is we want to make certain that we are putting the right tools in the hands of our families, of our parents, of our grandparents, so you can be resourced to be faithful disciplers of your children. All throughout the year, there's different resources, family resources that you can engage in that help foster spiritual habits.
We're getting ready to enter into the Advent season. We have Advent resources prepared for you um, as adults, but also for you as families to go through to, again, to engage Christ and to engage his word. We have Bible reading plans that we will go through together throughout the year. We pray for our children. And, and one of the reasons, and I know everyone might have a different opinion about this, um, but, but one of the reasons that we actually have our kids, uh, actually we started it by necess- necessity to begin with when we were in the community center. But I think all of you know our kids start off in here with us for worship. Um, and, and we do that intentionally because I, I want to make certain that our kids are seeing us parents and grandparents in the church worshiping Christ together. And and, and it's just a sweet, special time. I know sometimes, um, you know, kids can be distracting. I know sometimes it may be hard and challenging to focus, uh, but, but I want our children to see us engaged in worship because, folks, that will be something that they will never forget. That will be an impression that they will remember, and I can promise you that will shape them spiritually when they're older. They will remember the times um, that they started off in here in worship and, and lifted their hands or saw their parents or saw others engage in worship. And so we do that intentionally to help form them and shape them to reflect the character of Christ. Uh, we have to always be about the business of pointing people to Christ in the ordinary and mundane spaces of life. Not only are we to disciple our families, but how are we going to engage the mission at home? We need to make certain that we are always about the business of pointing people to Christ. Uh, The discipleship mandate was not just meant for trained professionals. Rather, it is the task of everyone who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. If you say yes to following Christ, you are saying yes to the Great Commission. It is not just my responsibility. It is not just the responsibility of church leaders. It's not just the responsibility of those that go to school to get education and get trained in ministry. It is the responsibility of every person who says yes to following Christ. We have the task to make certain that we are pointing others to Christ. I think if you recall the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, do what? Go and make disciples. Uh, the command is actually make disciples. The word go is actually can be translated as you are going, as you are moving along, as you are in line at Walmart, as you are in the car, we are to always be about the business of making disciples. And, and so that should be our mindset. Anywhere we go, every conversation we have, we should have the perspective and the mind mindset that we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Instead of viewing the workplace as a space where you just simply clock in and clock out, let's see it as a divine appointed place where God has given us a unique influence to impact eternity. Now, I know some of us just want to get in and get out and be done. I I know. I don't feel that about this place. Sorry. It sounded like that. I don't. I know, but, but there are some that maybe feel like, oh, I just want to clock in and I want to get home and be done for the day. But instead of approaching it in that fashion, how about we approach it with the mindset that God has placed me here in this season, whether it's for a month, whether it's for a year, whether it's for 25 years, or whether it's for a lifetime, God has placed me here for this season. And while I'm here, I'm going to use the influence that God has given me to make a difference for the kingdom of God. We need to always, folks, always be about the business of making disciples of Christ. And we will continue to care for our neighbors here in this home that God has placed us in, in Dunkirk, by continuing to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. 
We will express often our care, and we do this on a monthly basis, and we pray for uh, the students and the families and the staff at West Jay Elementary, and many of you donate snacks that we take over on a monthly basis to show that we care and that we love them, and we want to invest in what God has called them to do. We will serve faithfully in our community with a desire to reflect often and every single time the character of Christ in everything that we do. That's how we presently and how we should engage the mission here at home. What about regionally? How are we to engage this mission on a regional basis? What does that look like? Jesus goes on to say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says, you will be my witnesses where in Judea and Samaria. So now the, the scope of the mission is getting a little bit larger, a little bit broader. It's no longer just Jerusalem. Now we're talking about Judea and Samaria. If you want to put it in terms that maybe we understand, we're talking now about Jay County, maybe about the counties that are surrounding us. So, so God is calling us not just to engage the mission here in Dunkirk, but also in Jay County, Delaware, Blackbird, East Central Indiana. This is where God has called us to be effective for the kingdom of God. How are we going to do that? First of all, by multiplying the kingdom through church planting. I think you all know, and we are a byproduct of that, GT is committed, Glad Tidings is committed to planting healthy and life-giving churches across East Central Indiana. And I've said this a million times, and if you get tired of me saying this, just keep listening, all right? I'm not going to apologize. But our objective here at Glad Tidings, our objective is not to establish our own little Glad Tidings kingdom on earth. Folks, as we plant churches, life-giving, healthy churches, our objective is to build, advance, expand, move forward the kingdom of God. That is why we do what we do. It's not about having our own little club or having our own little uh, corner of the earth that we can call our home. Our objective is to continue to multiply the kingdom of God. But to spread the gospel and advance the kingdom, we have to do that through the church planting initiative. This is something that's very interesting. I shared this last night with, um, we had a welcome dinner. We had several new guests with us, a beautiful time last night. And I shared this with them uh, yesterday evening and something that just reminds me of how faithful God is. Uh, two years ago, we launched this campus. A year ago, we launched the campus in Hartford City. Um, both times that we launched a campus, there were 30 individuals, 30 that were sent here to Dunkirk out of Muncie, 30 that were sent out of Muncie to Hartford City. So there were 60 people that were, uh, 60 seeds that were sown into, into this vision to plant healthy and life-giving churches, to build and advance the kingdom of God. 60 individuals since then, and actually this number is bigger now, I don't know what it is, but since then, in, the, in that two-year span, there were 60 seeds that were sown. God has multiplied that seed, and now there are over 300 people that call Glad Tidings Church their home as a result of those seeds planted. How many know that when we plant faithfully and obediently seeds, that God will multiply it in ways that our mind can't even imagine? 60 seeds that were sown, and as a result, in just two years between those two campuses, uh, there are over 300 people that call Glad Tidings Church their home that are now uh, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that are serving their community to continue to advance the kingdom of God. We serve a faithful God. We serve a God who, who longs to see his kingdom grow in advance. Church planting for the sake of spreading the gospel can only happen through your involvement 
and through our investment as a church. And so how do we do that? What are ways? Well, one of the ways, and we talked about it, Kingdom Builders, we can give to Kingdom Builders. As you give, what you're doing is you're giving seed money to help plant the next, uh, the next plant or the next church to continue to spread the gospel. What else can we do? We can pray for the spiritually lost uh, in those communities. I hope now uh, there's probably communities that aren't even on our mind yet, that's already on the mind of God, but let's, let's be proactive, let's take the initiative, and let's be praying for people in those communities, for God to already begin to stir in their hearts a longing so when that church is planted, uh, there is a great harvest that comes out of that. And maybe, maybe you're already giving, maybe you're already praying. Um, one thing, futuristically, that maybe you can do is you can be a part of one of those teams to help plant and launch church to see the gospel continue to spread. Multiply the kingdom of God through church planting, but how else do we impact our region? We do it by impacting the kingdom of God through obeying the commandment of Scripture to care for the widows and the orphans, as Scripture is very clear on. James chapter 1, and I won't steal your thunder too much, Shauna. James chapter 1, verse 27. I think we know this uh, several years ago, a year and a half ago, we went through the book of James. We covered this passage, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. The Father means doing what? Caring for the orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Um, GT, glad tidings, already um, supports or is engaged in a foster support group here uh, at the church. Actually, just on Friday, they had a meeting here in this facility with three other families from the community uh, where they were able to pour into them and encourage them. Uh, but today, um, to, to really unpack what this looks like, because uh, this is one very specific way that we can engage our community. We have actually a special guest with us that's going to come uh, and just share for a few minutes to kind of share about how we as a church and we as individuals can engage the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations in the heart of the great commandment, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as, as ourselves, there is a very specific way that we as a church can be engaged in reaching people for Christ and, and being obedient to the scriptures, even here in our own region. So I want to introduce to you Shauna Whitten. Shauna is going to come. She's a part of, uh, she is a part of Backyard Orphans, and she's going to share a little bit about um, ministry that God's called her and her family to and how we can be engaged in that. Good morning. Thank you so much for just a few moments to share. Um, this church truly has a heart for the lost, and it's, it's evident and it's beautiful. Um, my name is Shauna, and I am a missionary with an organization called Backyard Orphans, and we work with churches all across the nation to get them activated into the space of orphan care. But the space for orphan care didn't start for me as an adult. It actually started for me as a young child. So never underestimate the influence that you have on a child. I was 11 years old living in Africa. My parents were missionaries, and I was at an AIDS orphanage one day, and I was there to help take care of kids. And they brought in this little boy who was seven years old. And I remember laying eyes on him, and his stomach was bulging, his eyes were sunken, his nose was crusty and snotty at the same time. But he was my buddy to take care of for the day. And so we, we played together, we ate lunch together. I had brought a lunch for us to share and we sat outside in the sunshine and we, we shared lunch. Um, we, oh, it's the air conditioning, <laughs> I was wondering what was going on. And we shared lunch, we played with toys 
And then before I left, we sat down at a table together, and I asked him, I said, Sammy, do you know that Jesus loves you? And he nodded yes. And we sat there, and we prayed together. And I truly believe that he prayed a prayer that forever changed the course of his life. You fast forward many, many years later, and I find myself living in Elkhart, Indiana, amongst the RV factory and cornfields, and wondering, God, what are you going to do with this burden, this task, this commission that you've given me to love orphans? And God, in his grace and wisdom, began to reveal to me that there were kids right here in my own backyard that needed to be loved and loved well. So he activated my family personally into the space of orphan care by becoming foster parents. So about five years ago, we became licensed foster parents. And that is the picture of our first placement. And I remember them bringing him and dropping him off at our doorstep and then pulling, them, pulling him out of the vehicle and I laid my eyes on him and there was this instant godly love that fell over me for him. I did not know his story at that time. I didn't know if he was going to be with me for a week, a month, a year. I had no idea. But what I did know is that God was asking us to love him and love him well. And so the opportunity that I had, I took. And I sat in his room, and I would hold him in the corner in his rocking chair, and I would pray over his life. And I would sing that song, you are a good, good father over him because I knew, God, you have good plans for this child. I don't know his future, but you do. He stayed with us for a year and a half because at the year and a half mark, about four years ago, him, along with two others, became a permanent part of our family. And he legally became my son. We have six kids, three biological, and then three adopted kiddos. They keep us busy. Um, but after their adoption, we kind of closed our license. I was maxed out on, on kids and uh, maybe my sanity. And uh, once again, I began asking God, what's next? And that's when he opened the door at Backyard Orphans. Backyard Orphans, I feel like Mary's two of God's greatest passions, the local church and orphan care. You see, we do have an orphan care crisis around the world. We have 140 million orphans worldwide. 140 million orphans. We have 400,000 kids in the U.S. foster care system. 400,000. That's a lot. Out of that 400,000, we have about 100,000 kids that are ready for adoption, which means their rights have been fully terminated. They're literally just in the system because nobody has yet adopted them. They are waiting to be adopted. 100,000 kids in the United States ready for adoption. But there's a solution. It's the church. 350,000 churches. Mathematically, this is all doable. Mathematically, those 400,000 kids could be placed in God-loving homes. But let's bring the numbers a little bit closer to home. There's 14,000 kids right here in Indiana in our foster care system. But, and, well, there's 150 children ready for adoption also in Indiana. But there are 8,500 churches. Once again, mathematically, could you imagine if those 12,000 kids, 14,000 kids were placed in a home that loves Jesus? Even if it's for a moment, they're waiting for an encounter with Jesus that could forever change the course of their life. We know that this is close to the heart of God because he talks about it in James 1:27. Says to take care of the orphans and widows and meet them in their distress. Our kids in the foster care system are in 
distress. He's talking about this verse is an action verse. When James was writing this, he wasn't writing this to the government. He wasn't writing it to the lost neighbor. He was writing it to the church. He was tasking us. He was tasking the church saying, this is your responsibility. This is our responsibility to take care of these kids in their distress. They're hurting and they are ready for people to wrap their arms around them and love them in their distress. When we first started this foster care journey, we had our four-year-old girl come in and it was rough. She was grieving hard, and it was messy, and it was ugly, and it was every day. And her caseworker came in, and she told me, she goes, you know what she's doing? She's grieving. And you know what she needs? She needs you to get down beside her and to love her. And that verse right here became real to me because that's what Christ was asking me to do, to physically get beside my child in my home and to love them in their distress. Backyard Orphans has been around for about 10 years. We've impacted over 100 churches. We've seen over 1,000 kids placed in God-loving homes, 1,000 kids who are experiencing the love of Jesus. We have, we have a specific county in Texas that has had 90 days where no child has been waiting to be adopted, which is kind of unheard of because almost every county has kids waiting to be adopted. But also, in that same county, there was one single church who went after the mission of activating their church into the space of foster care. And to this day, they have more families that are licensed foster parents than actually needed, which means we have more families waiting for children than children waiting for families. And when we have children waiting for families, they end up in shelters. In Indiana, we have kids sleeping in shelters because we do not have enough foster parents. And that's globally. That happens all over the United States. But there's opportunities for ways for people to be involved. You can speak up. You can advocate for kids in foster care. You can pray for them. Don't ever underestimate your prayers to Jesus because he wants us engaged in this space. Another way is concrete services. This is tangible ways that you can get involved by helping with meals, gift cards, car seats, things like that. Another way is support services, which you guys are doing currently. You guys are having support services for foster parents. And that could be celebrate recovery or just parenting classes for even biological families. Another way is the welcome home is actually bringing the child into your home. You see that little boy, Sammy, that I met when he was 11, or when I was 11, and he was seven. I truly believe that he had a prayer that forever changed the course of his life because two weeks after I met him, he passed away from AIDS. And I'll never forget that conversation I had with my father. As an 11-year-old girl, I couldn't comprehend his loss. And as my dad wrapped his arms around me and told me, he prayed. He knows Jesus, and you'll see him again in heaven. And I do this because I had, I had an encounter with a single boy that changed the course of my life, but he had an encounter with Jesus that forever changed the course of his life. And there are 14 other thousand Sammies right here in our own backyards who are waiting for that single encounter to forever change the course of their life. Thank you so much for a few minutes to uh, share. If we, if, we could, uh, if we could have, there we go, if we could have some of our ladies. I want to pray for uh, Shauna this morning in the ministry. 
And uh, even as we pray, though, I want to, ladies, you can go ahead if you want, a few of you, if you want to come gather around her, just right up here at front. And as we pray for her, though, I also just want to encourage, as we think about how we can engage the mission of God, um, I think as you hear her talk, one of the things that's very clear is that there is something that every single person can do. Um, and, and let's be a church. Let's not leave it up to somebody else or the world to try to fix the, the problem um, that exists. But let's be a church that realizes that right here in our own backyard, there is a need. There are, there's a need for people to pray. Uh, there's a need for people to provide services, to provide support, and even to open their home. And, and I, I, I just want to pray over her this morning. So let's pray together. And if you would, just stretch out your hand with me. And let's pray for Shauna and this ministry. God, we thank you for Shauna's heart. We thank you, God, for the encounter that she had as a, as a young girl that, that really has, has shaped her life and, and has even led to this ministry, God, that is continuing to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so, Father, we just pray for her. We pray for the ministry. We pray, God, that you would continue to use her to, to speak up, to share, uh, to present the need that exists, but also to really stir in the hearts of people a, a desire to participate, really, in this mission that you've called us to be involved in. And so, God, I pray right now that your hand would be upon Shauna. Lord, as she continues to uh, raise funds and budget to continue to serve you and to do what you've called her to do, I pray that you would give her favor. I pray, God, that you would just continue to use her uh, to make this this message this need known Lord uh, across Indiana across the uh, across the country and even across the globe God I pray uh, that you would just continue to uh, bless this ministry use them in great ways God we know that your heart beats Lord for the orphans and, and father right here in our backyard there are many Lord that are without father and without mother we know, God, that you love them desperately. These are your children that you have created and your image and your likeness. They have so much value. And so, God, we just pray right now that you would begin to do a work. Stir in our hearts as a church and as a congregation. God, reveal to us how we can engage this mission, how, God, we can be effective, what role we can play as followers of Jesus Christ, but also as a church. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would stir in our hearts. Lord, uh, uh, give us your hearts, give us your mind, and, and may it beat for what your heart beats for as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I want to encourage you, um, even as uh, we leave here in just a few moments, I'm not done, don't get up yet, um, but uh, I want to encourage you. She has a, a table at the back, but I would encourage all of you that can or are able I know she would be more than happy to talk with you and, and even begin to explore what, what role can I play or maybe the Holy Spirit was stirring in your heart this morning uh, to very specific action or maybe you thought about or prayed about opening your home um, before. I would encourage you to talk with her and she would be more than happy, uh, I know, to begin that process and kind of help you uh, walk through that this morning. So God has called us not just to engage the mission at home, not just to engage the mission regionally, but finally to engage the mission around the world. As a church, I think you know we are committed through prayer, through finances, through people, to supporting the global missionary endeavors of the Assemblies of God to make certain that every person, every village, and every people group has access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? 
Uh, I have a few videos here in just a minute we're going to show uh, for you to kind of see how this is even possible. But how do we engage this mission? One way is we give to BGMC. BGMC, um, I, I, you see those buckets out there in the foyer. Um, as you put money in those buckets to determine what ugly tie I'm going to wear on December 12th, that is money that's going to go to BGMC Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. That will help provide curriculum and resources for missionaries that are on the field to make certain that the gospel of Jesus Christ is getting to the children. Um, I think there is there a slide um, that is up there. And I know you may not be able to see it fully, but this gives you just kind of a glimpse. BGMC is the missions education program for all kids in the Assemblies of God. There are 12,000, over 12,000 donors. BGMC since 1949 has raised $174 million. They support 2,400 Bible schools and they support over 5,200 missionaries. Here is a short little video clip that shows a glimpse of how BGMC supports missions. Giving to BGMC makes possible the transportation of those bicycles to take the gospel then to places where vehicles cannot get to or by foot you're not able to get to, but on bike you're able to do that. Giving to Speed the Light. Speed the Light is the really the arm of missions for the teenagers. You can see here um, it is a student-initiated volunteer program that provides much-needed equipment to missionaries across the nation. Uh, a lot of uh, teenagers that give to Speed the Light, they are giving to missionaries to uh, really, um, giving allows missionaries to travel faster, preach clear, and be heard louder in order for all to know Jesus. And, and here's really the phrase, we give so others can do what? Speed the light of the gospel to a world in darkness. So as you give to Speed the Light, um, cars are purchased to make possible the spread of the gospel. And here is a little video clip from missionaries that we support um, that shows how your giving to speed the light allows the gospel to be heard. Hey, Pastor Kyle and Sarah, Dunkirk family. We're Scott and Anna, and we're here on our roof in India. We are passionate about reaching the unreached right here and about making disciples of Jesus who will then make disciples. But you know, we couldn't do it alone. We couldn't do it without churches like Glad Tidings, without people like you who uh, help partner with us to do just that, to reach the unreached. You know, through your financial giving, through your prayers, you're literally putting food on our table. You're helping to meet tangible needs but you're also allowing us to do ministry and to build relationships here with Bengali Muslims. So we just want to say thank you, we appreciate you, and we're excited to let you guys know that we now have our new Speed the Light vehicle purchased by Indiana Youth. So now we have a quick video for you guys to see and check it out.
Welcome to the speeding of the light. And along with our three children, we live and serve amongst the Bengali Muslims in Calcutta, India. India is a nation of over one billion people, many of whom still living in spiritual darkness. John 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I am the light that has come into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not live in the dark. One relationship we've been able to form is with a girl named Bina. She recently had a new baby, and one of my most favorite moments of having in the car was being able to go to the hospital and bring Bina and her baby home because no one else was there for her. Oftentimes, we're able to bring Bina and her baby to our house church in our Speed the Light vehicle. We love our Speed the Light vehicle because it allows us as a family to travel to ministry opportunities, and it also allows us to take nationals new believers and pre-believers on discipleship excursions. We love traveling in our car to remote villages. Some of these villages have never seen foreigners before, and it's the first time they've ever heard the name of Jesus. This vehicle has helped us speed this light and share with people who have never heard the name of Jesus, the love of Christ. That's a family that you all are engaged in supporting. They're one of the um, individuals that are out there on our missions wall and good friends of ours and so thankful uh, that God has called them uh, to engage the mission. But your giving, your support makes possible uh, the advancement uh, of the gospel. Uh, another way is, is supporting what is called the Live Dead movement. I shared a little bit about that last week. It's a movement that is really designed um, it's part of the Assemblies of God to target unreached people groups. We talked about the number of unreached groups that exist uh, on this planet and, and that movement. There are missionaries that are going into places uh, where the 3.1 billion people are that have no access to the gospel. And they're going to those places and, and taking the gospel into those communities. There's all kinds of ways that we can. We can give. Uh, maybe you already give. We can give more. If you pray, we can pray more. Maybe you've been all about sending somebody else, but maybe God is stirring on your heart to even go, whether that's a short-term uh, trip, whether that's for a year or two, or whether God maybe is stirring in your heart uh, to be engaged actively in missions for a lifetime. Uh, that's something that I want us to really be praying about and asking God, God, what part can I play? Chip, I'm going to skip that next video, if that's okay. Um, and, and then really supporting missionaries across the globe. There are many missionaries that have been called of God to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But the only way they can go is by being sent. Uh, Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 10. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So there is this question, how are missionaries, how are they sent? 
they're sent and they depend on, whether it's locally or globally, they depend on the supports of the local church. They depend on those who choose to follow Christ, who say yes to following him, to engage in this mission at home, regionally, and across the globe. I'm also going to skip the next video um, as well. Um, worship team, if you want to come this morning. We want to be obedient to Jesus' final words. We must be faithful in engaging the Great Commission on all fronts. We need a heart for the nations. Um, before you guys start playing here, there is one other video. Last Sunday um, in Muncie, Pastor Tom Pano, he's 97 years old. He actually preached in both services in Muncie last week. Um, pastor Pano is a pastor that maybe some of you know. He was pastor at Lakeview um, in Indianapolis for several years. And this is a man who has done great things for the kingdom of God when it comes to missions but as he closed the service in Muncie last week, he left the congregation with this challenge. And I want you to hear his words from service last Sunday. I read several years ago of a movie. And uh, I, I was o overtaken with it. It's over 30 years ago it was done. It was Chandler's List. Oscar Chandler had spent his energy and a fortune in rescuing the Jewish people during World War II from the Holocaust, from Hitler's Holocaust. And he had hidden these Jewish families away to, to preserve them from being uh, killed. And now then the war had ended and the Jewish people were now free to be out on their own. But Swindler was now a fugitive. A number of these Jews that had been rescued had come together to say a goodbye to Swindler and to thank him for what they had done. And on the way out to his car, and this group of people were following him, and with tears in Chandler's eyes, he looked down at his watch and he said, I could have sold it and I could have saved one more Jew. Jew. He walked onto his car and he looked at the car and he said, I could have sold it and I could have saved several more people. And he said, I could have done more. I could have done more were the last words that he said as he walked away. I come to the place at 97. I've done all perhaps I can do. I still am working on a couple of projects. But uh, my time is up. And I say, I can say today, I could do more. I could do more. I still receive calls all the time. Can you help us? Can you help us? The hardest thing in the world for me to do 
is to say no. I have never said it, but I feel that this is an hour. Someone needs to step forward. Some church needs to carry the burden. Some people need to take advantage of the open door that is before us. There is an open door that is standing before you. Your pastor has laid it out beautifully in the brochure that you will be receiving. And it is a challenge to you. Are you going to do it? Are you going to say, I can do more than I have done? I trust you well. I can do more, and I'll do all that I can. God bless you. Would you stand with me this morning? One day, every single person, we're all going to stand before Christ. We're going to have to give an account of what we have done. And I don't know about you, it is my prayer, my hope for me, it is my prayer and hope for all of us in this room that when we stand before Christ our judge, that we would not get to a place where we say, could have done more. 